Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and greetings once more from London, England. My name is Rainer Hirsch. I am a conductor and a comedian and welcome to Rainer Hirsch's Proms in the Pub my deeply unofficial podcast about the BBC proms, which comes to you twice a week from now until the last night of the proms on September the 10th. Well, I have been done and gone to another concert at the Albert Hall, this time achieving my previously thrifty ambition, see episode four, to attend the arena of the promenade concerts. That's right, I promenaded and correspondingly attended in a frock coat with walking stick and a top hat, prepared to exchange pleasantries about the unseasonably hot weather we've been having. Well, I would have done had it not been packed. Standing room only. Well, it would be that by definition. But this time, truly jammed. Sardines would have found it claustrophobic. The reason? In the second half of the concert, the Aurora Orchestra would be reciting Beethoven's Fifth Symphony from memory. Now, there's a YouTube video of a flash mob orchestra in Spain playing Beethoven's Ode to Joy. Starting with a single double bass, one by one the orchestra gather on a provincial town square until the crowd has been treated to the whole Beethoven experience in front of their very shopping bags. No dressing up, no 50 quid ticket. Well, this is that, but for real. The players of the Aurora bobbing and bending in the wind, unconstrained by the need to squint at notes on pieces of paper. It's a remarkable sight and an incredible feat, no question about it. It's now the Aurora Orchestra party piece. Berlioz Symphonie Fantastique, Mozart Jupiter Symphony, Shostakovich 9, Beethoven Erotica. They've all had the Aurora memory treatment. A bit dicey, you might think, in the current cirques. What would they have done if one of them got COVID? Finding someone to stand in for you at the last minute? Well, that's a conversation I'd like to hear. Hi, uh, yeah, it's Rainer. Um, I'm actually not so great at the moment. Got Corona. Listen. How well do you know Beethoven 5? As with all the Aurora memorizations, the performance of the symphony was preceded by a practiced and entertaining 30-minute warm-up presentation from the conductor Nicholas Collin and your friend of mine, the ever-excited Tom Service. During this, members of the orchestra moved around to physically illustrate things you might not have previously noticed, 
it was glorious. More glorious still was the absolute vintage Tom service speak. Quote, and by the end of the symphony, we're propelled from a place of human rejoicing to music that shouts and tears at the whole cosmos. And that's where we're going in this piece and this performance to the limits of fierce joy of the whole universe and beyond. <laughs> Is that from Star Trek? Except that when it came to it, Tom, as he must know in his heart of hearts, we kind of weren't taken to the limits of fierce joy of the whole universe and beyond. Fierce joy, did he really say that, by the way? The engines fired, the machine rose in the air a little way, then, like that footage you sometimes see of rockets going wrong, the thing came crashing back to Earth. The orchestra, each of whom knew their part so well, kind of ran away with it. Ludwig struggled, slipping frictionless from their fingers without leaving so much as a broken nail. Simon Rattle once said that if anybody has conducted a Beethoven performance and then doesn't have to go to an osteopath, then there's something wrong. And frankly, I really doubt whether Nicholas Collum will be needing any restorative manipulation. He just isn't a significant enough interpreter to make something out of such an opportunity. It was Beethoven 5 all right, but just flat. You want to know the truth? The memorising trick is never going to be performed by anyone other than an orchestra like Aurora, which is made up of young professionals prepared to take the time to see if they can remember a symphony all the way through. Crusty pros just wouldn't do it, like never. And that includes any orchestra or conductor who could really interpret the piece. So, though much I applaud this attempt to shake up how we experience a symphony concert, in the end, after the novelty of the optics has worn off, which takes about five minutes, you are left with a deeply unsatisfying listening experience. As it turns out, I want to be moved by my ears more than my eyes. And if they can do that, the orchestra could be sight reading it for all I care. So, four beers out of five on the proms in the pubometer for the presentation. An absolutely fantastic mumbo jumbo art speak. Just two beers for the memorized performance. Sorry. What I haven't talked about was the Shostakovich First Violin Concerto, which came before the interval, solo part taken by Patricia Kopotinskaya playing barefoot. <laughs> yes, Covid hit performers the hardest. But she was great. Committed is not the word, though she will be if she continues to look as mad as she did at the end of the final frantic movement. Again, orchestral accompaniment slightly indifferent, but five beers for Patricia just the same. Now. Have you ever thought about those special moments in pieces of classical music, the ones you absolutely love? We all have them. The parts when for a few brief seconds your troubles disappear, tears of love, joy, sorrow well up and you're in another place. Well, pianist and broadcaster Simon Townley has made something of a study of them and just yesterday he came round to my house to explain.
Like, welcome to Problems in the Pub, for a start. Thank you. Thank it's, you for having me. No, it's absolutely a great pleasure to, to have you here. Simon, you have, you, you're a pianist, you're a broadcaster, you've got a keen ear for the quirkier things, I think, in music, which unites us, I hope, a little bit. What is your own personal journey in music? Well, I, I'm a musician from, from childhood. I'm a childhood piano player, and I've just sort of stayed playing the piano my whole life, and I've taken the line of least resistance to allow me to carry on doing that. I can remember my very first prom. I, I was looking it up because I must have been four years old because my mum thought that I ought to see Malcolm Sargent. I mean, God knows what she felt that a four-year-old needed to go and see Malcolm Sargent for, but she was, she was a fan herself and she wanted to share it. Um, and he was supposed to be conducting the proms. It must have been 1967 because he died in the October and he didn't conduct the prom that we went to see. In fact, he hardly conducted any that year. And she was desperately disappointed. Um, but I remember she took me to the Viennese night where they used to do um, all the Johann Strauss waltzes and all the um, bits out of Die Mouse, And it was a, supposedly like an easy entry thing for a child. And I remember two things about it. One, I remember I was wearing shorts and those red velvet seats at the Royal Albert Hall were really itchy on my legs and I didn't like it at all so my mum had to take her scarf off and put it on the seat so that I could sit down and then when the concert finished and everyone clapped I wanted to go and of course the feature of a Viennese night is that you do encore after encore after encore and I got increasingly fed up with them doing encores it's finished why can't we go and I didn't see Malcolm Sargent but I did go to the Albert Hall for the first time and, and loved it. I tell you one thing that you know, I know you from as well as being the keyboardist, pianist in the Pastina Roof Orchestra. Tell me about that. Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, no, that was... That's a job I've been doing for <clears throat> 30 years now, and it's a wonderful band. Um, it's 20s and 30s swing and hot dance music, and I kind of discovered it when I was... Funny enough, I first discovered it when I was at university. I went to a college ball, and somebody said to me, oh, come here, you'll, you'll like this, and the band was performing, and I sort of stood and watched them little realising that my life would be spent trucking around Europe in a bus with them for the best part of 30 years. And then later on, um, I was lucky enough to get introduced to a few of the guys in the band and to do, some, to do some gigs with them. And then when the old piano player left, they needed a new one, and very reluctantly they took me on. <laughs> and I've stayed there ever since. And, and I, I, I love the music, and... Funnily enough, that music from the 20s, the 1920s and the 1930s, I should emphasise, that has gone, while I've been doing it, that has gone from being nostalgia to being almost, it's classical music now. It's just a different genre of classical music because there's nobody about who remembers the 20s and 30s. There's nobody now who was dancing to those tunes or, or jiving to those tunes the first time around. It's, there are some people still alive who remember the Second World War, so all the sort of Glenn Miller stuff and all the Benny Goodman stuff. But it's not really nostalgia. Those those people are in their nineties now, those people are in those people are in nursing homes, they're not coming to concerts now. So for anybody, everybody's coming into it new. So it's a bit like being in a Johann Strauss orchestra, only it's from sixty or seventy years later than Johann Strauss, or being in a or being in a classical symphony orchestra or a Baroque ensemble, you're just recreating something from the past because it's still good and people should still enjoy hearing it. 
What was it? What's it like on the road? What is there anything time when the you know the all the clarinets got sh waterlogged or something? Was there anything like that? Any crazy thing? <laughs> so many, so many incidents on the road. Yeah, but um, nothing really suitable for you know a, a U certificate podcast. <laughs> oh, there's no, there's no certificate on this podcast, and most definitely not. If there were, it well, would definitely not be a U. Mo most, most of the very, very best anecdotes involve trumpeters needing to go to the toilet suddenly and, and failing to make it. You know, weighing um, on themselves and on the stage. Um, well, no. Um, if you if you if you if you go up for a particularly high note, sometimes you can you can you can you, you end up having to sort of cut the back bit out of your shirt and throw it away. Um, it's like coughing and farting. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. <laughs> I believe if you go up for a, a super high note and you're not you're not in the best of health because of you might you know you might have been imbibing the night before or yeah, it's thirsty work blowing into a bit of brass tubing and. All that condensation. You've got, to, you've got to get it from somewhere. You've got to get it back from somewhere. Now, coming up, uh, on, coming up on Tuesday the 9th is a special concert which attracted your attention, most particularly. Well, featuring two pieces, uh, uh, which were... Two pieces which are Wagner Tannhäuser Overture, Strauss Four Last Songs. And by the way, there's later on in the proms, there is Vaughan Williams' Four Last Songs. Who I knew? didn't know Vaughan Williams wrote Four Last Songs. Well, I think anybody that wrote songs, there's got to be four, <laughs> four at the end, which you could cluster together and go, well, that, that is the last four. And there's Mala Blumina, which is actually a rejected movement of his first symphony. I do happen to know that. And uh, strangely, and Schumann's Symphony Number no. 4, which I really like, in fact. I like that symphony. But when we were talking about this interview, we talked about kind of heart-stopping moments in the music. You describe them as ice cream moments. Is that well, the, word, the phrase you used? I'm being, a bit I'm being a bit flippant. Yeah, ice cream spilling moments. Those, because this is a very romantic programme. I think it's even billed as a romantic evening because Schumann's Fourth Symphony, you know it better than I do. Is that Schumann's Fourth Symphony? Um, is it called the Romantic? Is it? No, no. There's, oh, it's the, there's another one. It's called Schumann's Fourth Symphony. There is the. There is. There is another the one. Spring Symphony. There the is, Rhenish. Yeah, that that one and the next one. I don't and know. And it's the fourth. It's it's. But it's a very romantic piece. It's, yeah. And and Blumine by Mahler, as you say, came out of his first symphony. Yeah. Which is supposed to be a romantic depiction of flowers. Yeah. I'm guessing my yeah. German's not great, but Blumine, I think, is something to Blumina. do with flowers. Blumina. 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 Yeah. Blumina. Sorry, and it means. Why? Well. Flowering. Flowering. Yeah. All right. Well, um, and then the Wagner Tan Tannhäuser Overture and the Strauss Four Last, Four Last Songs are hugely romantic pieces, which both both have, yeah, ice cream spilling moments. Well, so hang on a second. You're not allowed ice cream in the proms, are you? No, you can't eat ice cream. Let's in the stretch proms, that. But, Let's but stretch it's, that it's, point. Well, it's like go, it's 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 like when you go to the cinema or when you go to the opera, and there is a moment that just makes you. It's moments that make you cry, really, or or make you more than cry, that, that make you kind of, that push you back in your seat and you just sort of melt, which is where the ice cream comes in. Yeah, you, you hold your breath. You literally sort of melt. And you think, quite often you think, this isn't going to do it to me. I am old, I am cynical, I know all the tricks in the book, I can see what you're doing. I went to see The Flying Dutchman once at the, um, at the Opera House. I was tremendously lucky, got, got tickets and, yeah. and went to see that. And I'd not seen it before and I didn't really know it. But you can hear, because it's an early, an earlier piece of Wagner's, you can hear the, the gears 
cranking as he goes through. You can hear him getting to his climaxes. You can hear him moving into the diminished sevenths, building up to the ground. And you think, I see you, Wagner. I know what you're doing. I see you. I know you. this is coming. I, know what you're I doing. see you. I can see what you're doing. You're pulling my strings. You're manipulating me. And the next minute, oh, my God. Oh, don't do that to me. And it just works, even if you're... And, it, and it's just like, how does it do that? And I, I'm fascinated by these moments. Now, some people are going to say these are trite moments or these are cheesy moments. These are moments that they don't like because they would rather have everything on a cerebral level or a, an intellectual level or uh, that music can't express anything and maybe it can't. Who said that? Stravinsky said music is powerless to express anything um, um, and then wrote some very expressive music. So I think he was... On a dodgy I, I, one. There. I'm going to have to pass on that. Uh, you, use, you, use, you use the phrase diminished sevenths, though, and you thought, oh, yeah, he's in a, in a diminished seventh, and I see we're going to the minor now. The average punter doesn't have your no, ears. No, they don't know what is technically going on, but they, I'm sure, would, they'd be in, in tune with those, that sentiment you expressed, well, in the are, sense of there are these moments there which are these just huge, make you there stop are these breathing. There are huge moments. Um, and and they are, I don't think it's just me, I think they are an awful lot of people's favourite bits because they get done in concerts and extracts again and again and again and they are, they are sort of like the big moments out of pieces. So, I mean, even... And, and because composers like Verdi and Wagner and Mahler and Richard Strauss sort of worked out how to do it in the 19th century... In the 20th century, lots and lots of film composers have been able to carry on using some of the, the same tricks. And, I mean, the first one that I ever saw, two years before I went to my first prom, <laughs> at the age of two, I went to see Mary Poppins with my family. And Was it diminished sevenths and, oh, I'm going into the mine. Oh, no. Oh, I can't well, wait. Spoonful I, of sugar. You well, got me. You, you, you're, you're absolutely on top of it. But, of course, I didn't know that at the time. But that's exactly what it does. Give Mary, us, Poppins, can, can, Mary Poppins is about to leave, right? Mary Poppins is, is saying... She doesn't say goodbye to the kids um, because they're all off having fun flying a kite with their dad and it's all wonderful and everybody's happy. And then you realise that she's going to go. And that is an awful moment for you because, like, this wonderful person is, is going to leave and she's not going to say anything and she's just going to tell her umbrella to shut up and she's going to float up to the clouds, leaving them behind. And it goes literally diminished seventh. And the music does that, but it's that. And it just sort of... Whoa! That's when... That's when you melt. That's the ice cream melting moment in, in Mary Poppins. And yet it's such a... It's, and again, this is, common with, this is common with exactly what Verdi and Wagner were doing. It's kind of like the apotheosis of that tune, because it's a trite little tune. It's, it's, it's really not anything. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, the medicine go... I mean, it couldn't be more rumpty-tumpty as a tune. But then at the end of the film, it comes back in this big sort of symphonic sweep with um, tremolando strings and horns. And she flies away and you are heartbroken. At least I was, I was too. Um, you know, I, oft <laughs> I often say that about Mary Poppins, that it was the first film I ever saw and I still haven't seen a better one. And it's probably because of that moment as much as the rest of the film put together. Can we segue then from 
spoonful of sugar to Tannhäuser Overture. Give us a well. Give us yeah. a moment that is well. No, I mean because equivalent. This is this is this is kind of like this is kind of like the the crux of it because Tannhäuser he starts off with that. I haven't got. I can't remember how it goes, but it's it, it's that beautiful sort of slow slow chorale tune. Yeah, you think it's you think it's French horns, but it's actually clarinets at the very very start. Mm. It's really quiet. Do you know what I really, I, I, I love that, of course, in the original, and it's got this nobility to it and a peace and calm to it. There are, there's a transcription by Liszt, which um, is, it turns a pretty hairy virtuosic display, but it starts with this meditation, I feel. It's like, that's what I feel like. And there's a, there's a famous recording, Beno Mazevich playing that, and a few others, basically, but it's got this wonderful peace to it. Yeah, I've got I've got the list. I, I I wouldn't begin to attempt the list. <laughs> I last attempted list about forty years ago. I've got the I've got a kind of piano duet version of it somewhere, but it, it it's it's pretty fiendish. But it, again, he oh good, I was in the wrong key completely. We're all in E major today. That's extraordinary. What key is the Schubert Schumann Fourth Symphony in? D minor. Oh, there you go. So anyway, you've got that, and it goes on and on and on and on, and then it then it gets distracted and it goes into the the wild, sexy music for the Venus. And then there's the bit where it goes into um, doe a deer, a female deer. Um, It's exactly that, isn't it? That's that's <laughs> so That's in the middle. Anyway, that's in the middle. The Venusberg bit. Then it comes back. Then, and then, then the, the pilgrim chorale, thing comes the chorale, back. The pilgrim's chorus comes back. But the violins are going mental. Yeah. With all those sort of semi running semi quavers and everything. So so the tune comes back in a huge blaze of glory, uh, and that is basically what happens at the end of the opera. Right. So or the sorry the music drama. Yeah. Um, but it's quite disappointing if you go and see, if if you go and see the opera, because at the end, that's the bit you get. Right. Um, so you get that sort of slightly anticlimactic feeling of, yes, I've seen this, Yeah, <laughs> you know, as seen in the trailer. It's like and a documentary on BBC Four 
when they start with three minutes of all the important... Hi, my name is Rainer Hirsch, and I'm... Been always been fascinated by later Bar in the show. I'll be telling I'll be, you. Yeah, this is me. Oh, is that catching fire? Yes, it is. And then I'll also be talking. Don't do that now. You're Burton, and then basically that's what you get for the rest of the yeah rest and, of the program. That, but that Wagner did that, and he did that in Master Singers as well. The, the, the end of Master Singers is basically the end of the Master Singers overture. Mm. Um, so again, it's wonderful because there's a full chorus on stage, and you've sat through six hours of extraordinary stuff going on. But at the same time, there's a sort of feeling of, oh, OK, I did kind of know that was what was going to happen. That he was stole, how it was he's gonna... stolen his own thunder. Slightly, slightly. And I think that's one of the reasons why Master Singers and Tannhäuser are both tremendously popular overtures to have in the concert hall. I mean, the proms used to exist on great bleeding chunks, they used to call them, of Wagner. Um, there used to be whole programmes of, of Wagnerian excerpts when Henry Wood before my time, when Henry Wood was doing it. And then it became more of a universal thing later. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now, so when you're, when you're talking, when you think about Tannhäuser and your ice cream moment, your melting moment, the bit when you're so carried away that you, your ice cream could actually could drop off, you know, the best bit that you've been keeping. Would drop yeah, onto that, the... that would be, I, I think it's fairly unsubtle in Tannhäuser. I think it's when the chorale comes back when the when the when the, the the chorale tune kind of reasserts itself after all the sort of Venusberg shenanigans 
Um, he, Which always he does... sounds like a very boisterous picnic to me, rather than a rather than a sort of orgy of depravity. Yeah. It's all very four square and 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 lots of very jolly girls running around. And and musically, how's he doing that? So he's ba he's anticipated at the beginning in a you know he's given us a tune, and then at the end he brings that tune back with all guns blazing, you know, like eight eight horns and all the trombones going and the tuba and the strings going berserk over the top, and it's kind of like the apotheosis of this tune, which is the expression, I, if I was asked to create a, a Ponzi expression for it, I would say it was the apotheosis of the tune. Okay, so we've done Tannhäuser. Now we're on to Strauss's Four Last Songs. Right, well, it's very interesting that you drew my attention to the Vaughan Williams Four Last Songs and said anybody's Four Last Songs can be their Four Last Songs. Because I've got a feeling, I don't know anything about it, but my gut feeling would be that Vaughan Williams deliberately wrote Four Last Songs yeah. and called them that. Mm. And almost like, he, probably as a kind of conscious reference back to the Richard Strauss mm. ones. Very Googleable. Richard Strauss didn't know that he was writing four last songs. He didn't write four last songs. Strauss must have realised that he was probably writing some of his last works because he was 84 and he wasn't um, in the full vigour of health. Um, he just sort of vaguely, just vaguely survived the Second World War and he was an old man. Um, but he didn't write four songs. He wrote five songs. Um, one of them stands on its own and then... After he died, people started performing the four of them as a set and they changed the order in which they performed them. So they now usually perform them in the order spring, September, time to sleep, and then im Abendrot, which is at dusk. So they normally perform them in a standard order, but that order didn't come in, wasn't, wasn't first used until about 1950. And Strauss died in, I guess... 48, 49, can't remember which, but he was, some, he was already dead before this becomes kind of fossilised as a piece. The last one that he wrote was September, um, which is now performed as the second song in the set. And this was pretty much the last thing that he ever wrote. And the end of September is one of those tunes where a deceptively simple tune does an extraordinary amount of heavy lifting emotionally. And sometimes I think it disappears in performance because people are anxious to get on. There's four songs. So if you've listened to number two, there's a sort of, yes, we've done that, now give us number three. And then I'm really looking forward to number four because number four is going to be the, the ultimate, you know, the big, and it is a beautiful, huge romantic song of sunset and, and twilight and... It's perfect as the ending of, of the four-song cycle.
little moment. She, it's, it's a lady singer, I should say that. So she um, finishes singing and the orchestra play the piece out and it's a horn, it's a French horn and Strauss's dad played the horn? Yes. I think in the Munich Orchestra? He did, Munich Court Orchestra. And, and Strauss wrote concertos for him. And Strauss also wrote music when he was still a teenager, really, that his dad said couldn't be played on the horn, and then people came along and, and played it. Because um, So Strauss was a great writer for the horn and, and, and really understood the horn and how to write for it and because of his dad. And maybe at the age of 84, at the end of his life, writing this huge tune for a horn solo is a bit like something... Maybe there's a connection. Maybe he's thinking to his dad. You kind of think that soap opera, soap opera music, you kind of think that every time he wrote a tune for Horn, he must have been thinking, Dad would have loved this, or Dad would have played this well, or... It is another one of these very, very simple tunes. This is literally like from where the Horn starts. some beautiful closing chords. But it's literally that, it's literally four bars of that tune. And yet, for me, that's another one of those ice cream moments. If it's done right, that's another one where just, I, I'm pinned back in my seat and I am in, I melt, I'm in tears. It's just beautiful. And it's got similarities that... I don't think is that far from... I just played a bit of that. I just played a bit of the Valkyrie. Okay. Which, you know, Richard Strauss would have known like Mother's Milk. And I just played a bit from the Four Last Songs. Yeah. And I think they're kind of... I think it's sort of a variation on the same tune. Is you know. That I think is just lovely. And then with an old person's kind of sigh, as you say, it just lets it go. that go for nothing if you want to but I think that should be all, all conductors and orchestras and horn players worth their salt should be milking that for, for, for every single ounce of emotion I think it's a fabulous little moment
Wonderful. Um, well, thank you very much for those insights. I mean, that is great. Um, two pieces to look out for then on that concert, which is uh, next Tuesday, the 9th of August, obviously at the Albert Hall, and that is uh, the Ulster Orchestra with Danielle Rustioni, who's conducting. Can I give you... Um, I've got some my favourite moments. Oh, I went to the yes, programme, please, right? please, please. And uh, you can... You probably just think, yes, this man knows nothing at all. He's just an idiot. And you would be not too far from the truth. I'm going to play you three moments, which are all going to be performed in this year's Prompt. OK, the very first one is actually from the John Wilson concert, the Symphonia of London. And this is Thomas Vaughan Williams' Fantasia on a Theme by Thomas Tallis. And this is just where the strings get going with that theme. It's... simplicity about that it's wonderful that's top of a lot of people's lists isn't it that comes up when they do these polls of your 100 greatest tunes and that yeah. quite regularly comes out at the and what's great about it he wrote it obviously and on using lots of notes which will resonate with the strings the open strings otherwise not being played amongst the strings so it has the orchestra has its own kind of resonance basically the whole string section vibrates with that sound because the strings you aren't fingering are left to be resonated and that's one great thing about string playing but you've got in you know, a whole string section whose unplayed strings are ringing in sympathy it's a, that's what gives it that special quality unlike the performance that i also found for recorder <laughs> this is one of your heart-stopping moments <sighs> this is the same moment, but played on the recorder. Uh, this is, and no matter what they do, and it is, they're making a good try. They will never achieve the same. Fucking disgrace. <laughs> well, fair play to them. It wasn't. That, when, no, you said the word, when you said the re recorder, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it's still, yeah, well, good, good for them. To be honest with you, I can, there is beauty in that, but it is never going to achieve what that mystery of sound that is created by. That is an absolute, I hold my breath during that exposition of the original uh, Vaughan Williams, the theme. My second uh, moment, which I've got for you, which and isn't recorders, the I hope. panel. It's not the pan. It's not the recorders. No, it is the moment at the end of the. This is going to sound very technical, but it will mean a lot to you when you hear it. It's the 
end of the cadenza in the first movement of the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto. So the, strip, the, the violin soloist goes off on one and is riffing on thoughts and moods in the first movement. And then that comes to an end and the orchestra joins back in. And the way that happens is there's these kind of broken chords on the violin, which some violinists play what they call spiccato, which is slightly jumping off the string. And the orchestra just feeds back in. I was always absolutely astounded by the beauty of this moment. After all these years, you know, it still has that effect, but you know, one gets used to it. Here it is. Now in other, I would say, lesser transitions, like that, the soloist comes to an end of their... and the orchestra comes back in, and it just slides back in, in this remarkable way. Now you can catch up with that, because it's going out on the day we're recording this, which is Wednesday the 3rd of August, catch up with it on BBC Sounds, and that is being played along with Marla's fourth symphony, one of the great minor symphonies, because it is one of the shortest. <laughs> Sorry I said that out loud, but I've said <laughs> it now. And my very final ice cream moment, I'm going to adopt your term, is in Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, uh, which of course is happening at the proms because it happens every year, and this year it's being played by Chinike, which is the Chinike Orchestra, which is orchestra of, uh, I don't know how to describe this in the correct way, so I'll just say people of different ethnicity, and I hope that I'm not being too rude to people, I hope they understand, and it's going to, I'm really looking forward to that concert, I've got two tickets for it. At the beginning of the last movement, there's all this crashing and banging, and the thing gets going, and then the chosen bases announce the famous theme, it's actually marked piano, that is not the, not the quietest of markings you could put, you could put pianissimo, but some people... I think Simon Rattle just really quiets things out and it's like, almost like, can we believe we're hearing this? And of course, it gets off into all the dramatic fireworks later on with the choir and the soloist. But this is how it starts. And I won't say, and the rest we know, because it's like you're saying, you know, it's a great work of art. The rest is, you know, a given. It's not. But it is, uh, 
it's like we dare not say it too loudly, this marvellous thing that we're going to reveal. Oh, it's to you. superb. But my, my old my tutor, when I was at university, had a real issue with that because the theme comes in there, just it's stated as just one line with the cellos and basses, and then the next bit is like a variation on that with a little counterpoint that you can hear, and then the next variation is like another little variation with even more complicated counterpoint, and then the fourth time you hear the tune, everybody plays it flat out. And everyone's going... And it's just really just punched out like and that's the bit they use for the European anthem and all that stuff so it's, it's just everything everybody either blaring out the tune or blaring out tonic and dominant chords um, ones and fives and um, my, my tutor thought that was just Beethoven completely letting himself down because it had been so wonderful up to that point and then you have this blast of it sort of and then you, the, the counter argument to that is that's Beethoven he knows that he has to do that to sort of give it the the blazing trumpets and drums stuff, the simplicity, before he then goes off and brings in the singers and all the other variations and, and everything like that. But my, my tutor hated that bit, always felt that that was after, what, 45 minutes of music by that stage? That was Beethoven letting himself down very badly. Well, of course, our responses to this stuff is very different. I, I, uh, I, I disagreed with him then, I disagree with him now. But If, if it were all the same, how boring it would be. <laughs> and um, I think that's one thing we have to say about our ice cream moment, which is there may not be everybody's. There are lots of things out there, out there, there are lots of things out there that we haven't uh, recognised. Oh, God, yeah. But that is the glory of it. It's, uh, it's a knickerbocker glory <laughs> moment, it can be. But Simon, thank you so much for spending the time to tell us about your special ice cream moments. Well, I thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed myself. I, <laughs> I hope somebody else did. It's interesting, isn't it, to find out that those what we think of as heartbreakingly emotional experiences have a technical side. I did think when he said he'd seen the best film ever, Mary Poppins, you know, at a very young age, the rest of life must have been something of a disappointment. What about Terminator 2 or Scarface? Well, it takes all sorts. Of course, if one great composer at a time is not enough for you, you can just kind of combine them. Well, you can if you yourself are a bit of a genius, such as our very special guest, Harry the Piano. Harry is currently on a cruise. No, that's not a euphemism. He is actually giving recitals on a cruise. But he sent us this recorded missive when Mozart met Debussy. Thanks, Harry. Hope you're enjoying these podcasts. If so, please share them with anyone you think would like them too, or if not, send them with a glowing review to someone you don't like, subscribe so you don't miss a thing, or get in touch with us at www.promsinthepub.co.uk. Meantime, give it up for Harry the Piano.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 